three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinions Sports, episode 425. Welcome in. Um, let me start by just acknowledging right off the bat, this episode is later than I wanted it to be. It's Wednesday morning. This was supposed to come out Tuesday morning. And uh, I have been going through some really tough stuff. And I do not feel ready to talk about that publicly. Uh, but there's some stuff going down in my personal life. And I'm I'm just going through it, man. I'm, I've got a lot on my plate. And it's been really time-consuming. It's been really emotional. And I think I've reached a resolution for now. I don't think it should affect future shows. In fact, I will not allow it to. Uh, but I apologize. I am a tad bit late on this one. And I, I do. I feel bad. Like, I don't want to talk about Formula One three days after the race. I don't want to talk about Monday Night Football on Wednesday, but here we are. I'm doing the very best I can, I promise. And look, I I don't know. I've got friends looking for jobs right now, and I, I look around at the the world, and I, I want it clear. I appreciate my job so much. I love what I do. I am very grateful to do what I do. Um, I, I don't want to do another job. I really don't. And so I, I want to be clear. Like I, I'm really committed to this, and I, I think I, I just want it to be known. I want to make episodes Sunday night, and Monday night, and then hopefully Tuesday night, bang, 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 and that's my goal, that's what I'm aiming for, and uh, I apologize. It's been a really, really hard football season for me. I'm going through a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and um, I'm trying not to let it affect the show, but it is a little bit, and I, I apologize for that. Um, I want to. This is a fun thing to start with, because it's. Uh, I love hypotheticals. I love talking about stuff that could potentially happen. So let me be clear with this, though. I do not believe Kirk Cousins will be traded. And if I was the Minnesota Vikings, I would not trade Kirk Cousins. So let's be clear. I do not think this is going to happen. But I love hypotheticals. It's fun to talk about stuff that could potentially happen. And NFL ownership is dumb sometimes. They think they know more about football than they really do. Some fans are really tired of Kirk Cousins. Uh, Feels like the Vikings are going to fire their head coach, Mike Zimmer. You never know. The quarterback might be next. Personally, I think that the two most underrated quarterbacks in the entire NFL are Derek Carr in Las Vegas and Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. But uh, it's a fun conversation to have. What if Kirk Cousins was traded? Where would he go? What teams would be good for him? So uh, the first one is an interesting idea. I don't know if it works money-wise, but it, this is a probably the most out there one. But it's I'm like, hey, this whole topic is me having fun with a potential situation. What if Kirk was traded to Pittsburgh? I think that's an interesting idea. When he was brought into Minnesota initially, he was given a big guaranteed contract and the expectations were really high. Unfortunately, in my opinion, they failed to give him a truly great defense in his time in Minnesota. And I think they have failed with their goal of trying to get to a Super Bowl. Now imagine Kirk in Pittsburgh with, when TJ Watt is healthy, their defense is fantastic. And it seems like they're a team that's going to need a quarterback next year. It seems like Big Ben is probably done in Pittsburgh. And I have no idea how he fits into that locker room. He does feel like a bit of an odd fit with that locker room. But Najee Harris, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth, those guys I think are going to need a quarterback. And I think Kirk is an interesting idea for a quarterback needy team in Pittsburgh. I like Gardner Minshew a lot more to, to Pittsburgh. But hey, that's an interesting thought. How about Seattle, though? Seattle is one that makes a lot more sense that I think nobody's considering. 
imagine if you traded Kirk Cousins and a couple draft picks, maybe a first round pick, maybe a couple second round picks, third round pick. I don't know. Kirk, though, and a collection of draft picks. Imagine trading that for Russell Wilson, the Seahawks quarterback. Russ seems unhappy in Seattle. And what this trade would do is it would give Minnesota an upgraded quarterback and simultaneously give Seattle a cheaper quarterback, which they need to build their roster up and also give them some draft picks they could use to rebuild their football team. So I I think actually Kirk to Seattle is a really, really underrated option that nobody, I've not heard that anywhere. And I'm like, ah, that would be really fun and very, very interesting. How about Cleveland? Kirk is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, in my opinion. I think that's pretty clear. Like, watch what he's done this year. Watch how Baker's played. Baker's been hurt, but Baker's been all over the place. And the Browns need a quarterback for next year. It seems like that's their biggest problem right now. I say the quarterback's holding them back a little bit. And Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski used to be the offensive coordinator for, guess who, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. I don't know what that trade would look like. Maybe Kirk uh, for Baker Mayfield and some draft picks, something like that. But I think Kirk Cousins would fit in well in Cleveland. And their offense, what they're doing, it's an offensive coordinator, well, a play caller, now head coach Kevin Stefanski that he's worked with before. It is not a... I just I think that's a destination that would work very, very well for Kirk. Now, it is not a great quarterback draft up ahead in 2022. And so there likely will not be any franchise quarterbacks available in the middle of the first round. So if Cleveland wants a quarterback, this is what they got to do. Also, if another team like Denver wants a quarterback, you're not going to find one in the draft, I don't think. I think they're going to be a little too good to find a quarterback in the mid-round of the draft in the first round where they will be. So could Denver trade? For Kirk Cousins. Hmm, interesting. This team is ready to win. All they need in Denver, in my opinion, is probably a new head coach. I mean, that's new. And then they need a good quarterback. Kirk is playing very well. He's got 25 touchdowns, only three interceptions this year. He just needs a good team. Give him a good defense, some great weapons. He's got a, a couple good receivers, but that's about it in Minnesota. Everyone is saying Denver should trade for. Aaron Rodgers. And I hear you. That'd be a beautiful trade to be sexy and fun. But is Aaron even going to be available is question number one. B, like, how much are you going to have to give up to trade for Aaron Rodgers? That feels like a massive blockbuster trade. Now, it's worth it, but that's a lot to give up. What about Kirk Cousins? A franchise quarterback on Le Cheap as far as the trade comes in. Plus, the GM, George Payton, in Denver used to be in Minnesota. So they have ties. Kirk to Denver. Could be really good. Now, the final one I want to talk about, a lot of people in my comments are suggesting, hey, Kirk could go to New Orleans via home run. And that's actually what gave me the idea for this topic. And I don't disagree with you. I think Kirk Cousins would be fantastic playing for Sean Payton, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. But I don't think they can afford him. Like, his salary is still pretty high. And also, how are they going to trade for him? Like, I, I don't think they can trade for him or afford him on their roster yearly. They'd have to make a lot of changes with their salary cap, which they're already having problems with. I think next year, Jameis Winston is the guy for New Orleans. But I do want to acknowledge that because a lot of people keep commenting that Kirk to New Orleans. And I hear you. It would be great. Him with Sean Payton. But I don't think they have what's required to trade for him or keep him and pay him on their roster. Okay. Uh, Let's shift to Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football, the Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills 14 to 
10. And uh, this was a very weird game. The top story was the weather. That's what everyone was talking about. It was kind of, I mean, so the weather really did affect everything. It was crazy windy. There was a little bit of light snow. And it was fun. It was a night game in December in Buffalo. And, And the weather affected everything. Field goals, punting, throwing, literally everything. Although I do want to give a bit of commentary. I felt like ESPN, as they always do with any kind of angle they can find, they find an angle, hey, Najee Harris was homeless at one point in his career, and they just pound it into the ground as hard as they possibly can, and, and they spew and blather on about it way too much. And I felt like, yes, the wind was crazy, and it did affect everything. I hear you. But I felt like somehow still ESPN went way over the top like every single second reminding us hey by the way did you forget the wind is crazy and i'm like yeah how could i forget when you're talking about it every five seconds every play it's another piece of commentary now well the wind impacted that throw the wind impacted hey you know apparently the wind can impact handing off the football i didn't but apparently it does (laughs) like i just it drove me nuts a little bit but it, it was a crazy windy game and and honestly i walked away from this game believing truly that the Patriots are going to be the team that will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I don't know if this is controversial. I don't really care. It's my opinion. I think the Patriots are the best team in the AFC. They can do everything. They play great defense. They're on the ball well. Mac Jones is way better than anybody gives him credit for. And it doesn't really matter what you put in front of the Patriots. They find a way to win. They're nine and four. They are currently the number one seed in the AFC. That's not an accident. And also I think if they could go back and play some of the games they lost earlier this year, they would win those as well because they've gotten better as the year has gone on. Now in this game, something, something unheard of happened in this football game. Mac Jones, the Patriots, you know, rookie quarterback, but Patriots quarterback threw the ball only three times and they won. And yeah, he played the whole game. It wasn't like he, he started the game, got hurt, got taken out. No, he literally the entire game threw the ball three times. Mac Jones was killing it with handoffs. I have never seen better handoffs in my life. Just over and over and over again. A couple tosses here and there. The Patriots ran the ball 46 times for 222 yards. I mean, that when I say the weather impacted everything, it, it really impacted clearly the Patriots game plan. And it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Mac Jones... The winning starting quarterback was two for three with 19 yards passing. Like, what? And one of them was a screen pass, by the way. It wasn't, it wasn't even like, it was like, oh, alrighty then. I guess that's what, and, and one of them, by the way, was like a crazy catch where a receiver tipped it to himself. It probably shouldn't have been a completion anyway. I, I think Josh Allen is the perfect quarterback for Buffalo. But even the wind impacted him. And, and Josh Allen's a massive dude. I think his personality fits in. Buffalo, he's huge. He's got a big arm, which you're like, yeah, his arm can cut through the wind in Buffalo. Apparently not as much as I would have thought because even he wasn't great throwing in the wind. The wind like carried, so he threw the ball on a couple throws that normally he was accurate on and the, the wind would carry it away from where he was throwing it and it caused him to be incomplete. I felt bad for him. Like no one could do anything in the wind. Uh, the Bills missed a field goal. I mean, the reality is Buffalo had a couple of chances that they failed to capitalize on. Like, early in the game, they had a bad punt uh, that, you know, they, the Patriots had a horrible punt, gave the Bills the ball at the 40-yard line going, and they found themselves first and 10 on the 30-yard line going in, and the Bills fumbled. And they're like, ah, oh, that's a big missed opportunity early on. Then later in the fourth quarter, 
the Bills had the ball in the red zone two times. On the first time, uh, they missed a field goal from the 15-yard line. It's hard to berate a kicker for missing a kick in that weather. Although, again, you are the kicker in Buffalo. You got to figure it out. And then later, they had a turnover on downs in the red zone where there was a 4th and 14 at the end of the game. I I thought Josh Allen could have had a touchdown to Cole Beasley, and he didn't throw the ball. Cole Beasley was running across the face of a defender. There's no safety help. Like, basically a post, and you're like, fine. Throw it. What are you doing? And instead, he threw to the receiver behind Cole Beasley, and defender knocked it down. I think it would have been a touchdown if he had targeted Cole Beasley on that play. Uh, but Josh did not throw the ball to him. Also, the Patriots had great coverage all around on that final drive for the Bills. Uh, they knocked down two passes, one in the end zone, one at the goal line. Fantastic coverage by the Patriots on that final drive. And uh, honestly, this was not a very exciting game to watch. It wasn't. It was tense because you're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and it was a great win for New England. I, I really believe that they're going to the Super Bowl. And that, it might be early to say that. I, d- I don't know. And I don't really care what anybody thinks about that. I, if I had to pick one team that's going to the Super Bowl from the AFC, like the NFC, I have no idea. I think Tampa's really good. The Rams are better than I think they've been playing recently. The Cardinals are really good. The Packers. But in the AFC, one team stands alone, in my opinion, and it's the Patriots. The fact that they found a way to win a game with their quarterback throwing the ball three times well, what, what more do you want from them? Their best team in the AFC, best record-wise, they win a game that way. They find a way to win no matter what is thrown their way. And again, they play great defense. They run the ball well. People just do not appreciate Mac Jones. He's making great decisions. He is everything being asked of him. He's dominating execution-wise. And that's that's all you want. Like your quarterback making good decisions, putting the ball in the right spot, being accurate. He is not playing like a rookie at all. And I don't want to hear, oh, Mac Jones is a rookie. He'll, he's going to be the limiting factor down the road. I don't actually think he will be. Remember, this same football team, the Patriots, had once a young quarterback who, you know, he'll be a liability down the road. What about Drew Bledsoe? Oh, wait, no, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. In year two, it'll be fine. I really think Mac Jones is capable of getting to a Super Bowl in New England. And can they win? I think the NFC is stacked. They got a lot better teams. I don't know. But don't put it past them. They have a shot. And uh, keep your eye on the Patriots. I truly believe they will be the team representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. Okay, give me a moment. I need to drink some water. Probably apply some chapstick. I use this kind of chapstick. There's some indicator. It's really key. You want um, sunflower seed oil to be the number one ingredient on your uh, chapstick. Otherwise, like if it's peppermint oil... I found out it's a big scam. Apparently what it does, all it does is dry out your lips and make you want more. It's, I mean, it's great design. It's kind of like light bulb makers that make horrible light bulbs that burn out. Like you can make a light bulb, by the way, that lasts for like a hundred years. The problem is if you do that, no one's going to buy more light bulbs. So you got to charge a lot probably to keep your profits up. Uh, a lot of these lip balm companies have found a way to sell you lip balm that doesn't actually dry out your lips. It makes you feel good for a second. And then you got to put on more and more and more, and it doesn't work very well. So when you're buying chapstick, look for seed oil to be the number one ingredient, not peppermint. Peppermint is wrong. And and I buy Burt's Bees. Uh, You get it at Target. Look for the words moisturizing lip balm, because Burt's Bees also sells stuff that has peppermint as a number one ingredient. You want seed oil to be your number one ingredient with your chapstick. That is how you get chapstick that actually works really well. Uh, That is a, no one asked for that life advice, but that's. Great advice from uh, your, your, your good friend, Zach Schaumler over at Strong Opinion Sports. Okay, we had an interesting story in college football I want to talk about. 
Oklahoma has hired Brent Venables to be their next head coach. He was the defensive coordinator at Clemson for years. He's a legend, won national titles there with Dabo Sweeney. And I don't like making proclamations about a guy who's never been a head coach before, but I feel like I should comment on it because it's a very noteworthy hire, and I do like him a lot. Like He's done fantastic work as a defensive coordinator. He's never been a head coach before, so I don't really know how he's going to do. Like, no one, people will tell you, great hire, amazing. No one really knows how he's going to do as a head coach. Like, let's be clear. I hate that when someone's never done a job before and they get elevated to a new job they've never done. And you're like, people are so confident he's going to do great. I'm like, well, oh, yeah, he did good in a different role where he had a head coach doing stuff for him that he's never done head coaching duties before, in my opinion. So we'll see how he does. Uh, he will be the coach that leads Oklahoma into the SEC, though. And that, I I would think, based on what I know about him, he's the right guy for the job. Again, I'm not going to commit to that, though, because who, who knows? We'll, we'll see how he does. Uh, but I'm I'm hoping he does well. Everything I've seen about him, interviews and stuff, I Brent Venable seems like a very, very, really capable dude. He's a good leader of men, and his football acumen is fantastic. Uh, this could be a very shrewd hire, similar to uh, the Chargers hiring you know, the Rams defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, a guy no one had really heard of until he got hired. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. For years, people have been trying to hire Brent Venables to be their head coach. And I think it's a good hire, but we'll see how it plays out. What's interesting to me though, and noteworthy about Oklahoma hiring Brent Venables is that he's a really, really big contrast from their former head coach, Lincoln Riley, who is this offensive guru. Now you have a defensive coach at Oklahoma. And I don't know that he's going to love a lot of the practice rules they have in place in the Big 12. But what I like about this a lot is Oklahoma's defense has been a liability and a limitation for years now. They're very top-heavy. They score a ton of points, and then you just can't trust their defense to make stops when it matters most and do great with little details. So it would be very cool to see Oklahoma have a good defense for a change. I'm like, I'd be, I'd love to see that. I think if anyone could do it, it's Brent Venables, the former Clemson defensive coordinator. And uh, this, this hire is noteworthy. I, I think he does well. I don't know. I'm, I'm not like, how can you make a proclamation about a guy who's never done a job before? Like, Hey, what if I got hired to be a, I like, I, so I, what's a job I've never done before. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think something that like would make sense for me to transition to, but I've never done before. I don't know. Like I, uh, a set director, right? I, I, I probably do terrible as a set director. Look at the set behind me. So I, that's probably not a good example. I can't, I can't on the fly come up with anything, but I think Brent Venables is going to be a good defensive or good head coach at Oklahoma. And uh, I apologize on on the fly. I couldn't come up with any kind of fun, interesting, uh, maybe, maybe by the end of the show, I'll come up with a fun analogy there. I don't know. Though. I got nothing for right now. Also, um, the college football playoff rankings have finally, Finally is the wrong word. They have been announced, so they are final. We have number one, Alabama, number two, Michigan, number three, Georgia, and number four, Cincinnati. Very, very cool. I want to, let me find my phone. There's a really cool uh, little graphic I want to read out of. I saw this on Instagram, so I'm, I'm, I'll see if I can find the person who posted it and give them credit. But the, oh, I didn't screenshot it. I'm an idiot. That's so sad. Let me, it's definitely, I sent it to myself on Instagram. So I want to, I want to read this because it's worth mentioning. I probably could just tell you off the top of my head. Here it is. On uh, 24-7 Sports, uh, you know, at CBS Sports posted this, said, it's kind of crazy that Cincinnati made the college football playoff before all of these teams, and, and many others, by the way, too. USC, Texas, Penn State, Tennessee, Nebraska, Florida, Miami, Auburn, all these legendary, massive programs in college football 
And guess who made it before all of them? Cincinnati. Well done, Cincinnati. I don't know that they're going to win their game against Alabama, but that's awesome. I also want to say it makes a lot of sense for Michigan to be ahead of Georgia. They're both 12-1, and but Michigan won their conference championship and Georgia did not. So I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, And as long as they're playing against each other, I'm happy. Like when I ranked them, I put very thoughtlessly put Georgia ahead of Michigan because I think Georgia is a better football team. But like, I don't really care. As long as, like, it makes sense to put Michigan there, and I, whatever. I, it's weird how like we have to pretend like we're ranking them based on logic when really I feel like people are ranking teams. Like, I, I don't know. I, there's a lot of stuff, and we'll get into it. Like the rest of the rankings, five through eight, are like very silly, make no sense. I talk about it a lot in Ask Zach. Uh, but on Friday, December 31st, Cincinnati will play Alabama. Exciting, interesting, and Georgia will play Michigan. Now, I would be absolutely shocked if Cincinnati beat Alabama. But anything can happen. Maybe Alabama has a bad game. Cincinnati plays out of their mind. Like, it's not impossible for Cincinnati to win this football game, but they will be a heavy underdog. And I'm really excited for Michigan and Georgia because, so Georgia probably wins, but I think it could be more competitive than anyone realizes. Like, Georgia all year has dominated everyone, but the matchup I really can't wait to see is Michigan's offensive line against this Georgia defense. And it's two similar quarterbacks who are kind of limited, not great. I think Georgia wins this game, but it also has a chance to be good. And that's all I want. All I want when I watch football is an outcome that I'm not quite sure of that's interesting and comes down to the wire. And I think Michigan has an opportunity to be that. And if Georgia comes out flat and Michigan runs the ball well, this could be a game very similar to the Big Ten title game where Michigan dominated Iowa. If Georgia doesn't show up, which I don't know why they wouldn't, like, right? Like, and this is, this is true about any football team. If you don't show up to play against a good football team, you'll get your ass kicked. And Michigan, especially their style of play, they pound the rock. They are very physical. Michigan could kick their ass if, if Georgia doesn't come prepared. And uh, if they overlook this game, and, and it might be, I don't, I, again, I don't, I don't see that happening. Georgia, they're playing in a college football championship game, you know, playoff game. They are, this is not like when they played Texas a couple of years ago when they were very flat against Texas because it's a bowl game they didn't care about. I don't think that's going to happen. But Michigan, there is a possibility here. There's like, you know, alternate realities where there's all these possibilities. There is a possibility here that Michigan does blow out Georgia because of their style of play, their physicality. If they catch Georgia off guard, they'll make them pay very, very quickly. Okay, uh, before we end the show with Ask Zach, I actually want to talk about Formula One. So you can skip ahead if you want to. I'm going to talk about it in a way, though, that I I hope is accessible to everyone. Because hear me out. If you're not a a Formula One fan, you're a football guy, you're here for football, totally get it. Although I I think you're missing something because the way that Formula One has worked out this year is an unbelievable finish where, unlike most years, going into the final race, the top two drivers in Formula One are tied. One race left, and it's tied, and we're going to see who comes out victorious at the end of the year after this weekend. So on Sunday, we had the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. There's a lot to talk about, but the main thing I really care about is Max versus Lewis. So Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton won. He got first place. He also got uh, fastest lap. So he got 26 points, which right now means that, that, uh, you know, currently Max Verstappen, who got second for Red Bull, they're tied with both 369.5 points going into next weekend. There's one race left this year, Abu Dhabi next weekend, and that's going to decide everything. I cannot wait. It's going to be 
cross your fingers, hopefully very, very interesting, exciting. I would like it to come down to the wire. I'd be heartbroken if Lewis pulled away and won by like 20 lap. You know, by, if I lap 20 to, with 20 laps to go, like Lewis is ahead by 14 seconds and it's over, that would be really sad. Or if like Max or Lewis, one of them doesn't finish and has like a gearbox issue or something, it'd be, heart, it'd be really, really sad and very, very heartbreaking. Now, there's almost a hatred growing between these two guys where Lewis does not like when anyone challenges him. Go watch the Formula One 2016 season where he basically had a lifelong friendship with Nico Rosberg that got ended due to the competitive nature and the way things played out and the way that Lewis Hamilton carried himself in those battles between him and Nico Rosberg. And look, Max Verstappen is not afraid to play dirty if he has to. He, he's the kind of guy, he's like, I'm trying to win. I don't care about being friends. I don't care about being liked. I don't care what fans think. I want to win a world title. And that's dangerous because when you have a guy who doesn't care what anyone thinks and will do anything it takes to win, he will, he really will do that. And Lewis keeps taking digs at Max in the media, you know, complaining to the stewards. And it's, it's getting very dramatic and really spicy. It's been a, an intense battle all year, but it's getting especially chippy as we thought it would. I mean, we saw all year they've battled back and forth and it's gotten a little bit more chippy every race, every race, you know, bang, but it's just more and more intense, a little more touching between the two drivers as they go. And literally everything has been possible. They've used, uh, you know, for example, uh, during a race restart, Lewis Hamilton decided to take as much time as humanly possible getting to the grid. So he forced Max Verstappen to sit there on the starting grid, allowing his tires to cool. And Lewis just took as long as he possibly wanted, meandering slowly, you know, waiting till he pulled up and uh, forcing Max to sit there on the starting grid. And Max has done illegal stuff, like he the way he passed Lewis Hamilton a couple times, even throughout the year, just cutting Lewis off completely on turns. The reality is that both Max and Lewis are completely miserable to compete against. They will go to the stewards. They will make contact with each other. And they're actually very, very similar, which is why I think this is so intense. If, you know, if they were racing other people who maybe weren't as bullheaded, but I think some of the most intense and competitive and bullheaded drivers where they will do anything to win. They don't care. You got Lewis Hamilton. I think Fernando Alonso is that kind of guy and Max Verstappen. And now we got two of those guys against each other. It's going to be this, the way this ends this year is going to be really intense. And it's because they're very similar. No one's talking about that. They, they do like if you're a Lewis fan or a Max fan, you go, Oh, the other one is terrible and wrong and complains or does this or does that. And no, the reality is they both do whatever it takes. And they're similar, which is why it's been so intense as the year has gone on. Now, the margins are razor thin. It's been nail-biting to watch because neither driver can afford a mistake or afford to have anything go wrong, a gearbox issue here or you know, maybe a puncture there or you run wide into the wall. I mean, it's crazy how razor thin the margins are at the end of this year. And there was a moment where Max passed Lewis and it was illegal, so he had to actually give the place back to Lewis. And then... Max slows down to let him pass and Lewis rear ends him. And you're like, oh no. And there are two sides, right? Lewis will tell you that Max is being dirty and it's bad racing. Max will tell you, so Lewis will say it's dirty driving. Max will say, I was just slowing down to let him have the position. Of course, he'll say it as innocent as humanly possible to get anybody on his side. Now, Max actually got blamed for the collision. The FIA gave him a 10 second time penalty uh, after Saudi Arabia. Now, it didn't actually impact any of the race. It's, it's a trivial move. Uh, so Lewis still won. Max still got second. But I thought that what 
really was happening there was they were trying to appease Mercedes and shut Lewis Hamilton up, who was complaining a lot, talking about how dirty driving consists of that. And I thought really what happened was, and it's kind of comical to blame Max, although, like, again, it didn't matter, so it doesn't, like, it didn't impact anything, so who cares? But I thought what happened from watching was that the FIA had poor communication between Michael Massey, the race director, and the two teams. They told Max to slow down and give the place back, and he did. They just hadn't yet told Lewis what Max was going to do. So Lewis wasn't prepared for Max to slow down and give him the spot back. That caused them to collide with each other. I think that's on the FIA for poor communication rather than blaming Max. But again, it didn't. it's trivial, so who cares? Overall, this race, though, was a really big mess. I mean, you had, it's a street circuit with drivers going full speed, and it's super narrow. So if anything goes wrong, there's nowhere to escape to. You just, you, you can't avoid a collision. There's all these blind corners, again, at full speed. And there were two red flags to clean up the track at one point. There were constant on and off yellow flags and safety warnings and, you know, you couldn't pass. And the track, I thought, aesthetically looked very good. It kind of reminded me, actually, of it made the F1 car, especially early on, look like toys where you're like, oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. And it looks like kind of reminded me of karting or a video game or something. But in many ways, this track had really poor race design with the there's there's the place where Mick Schumacher crashed. It's like. There's nowhere to go. If you miss that turn or screw up at all on that turn, you're going to go into the wall and then it's going to have to cause a red flag because you got to repair the wall and you have to have that safe and ready. Debris was all over the track constantly. Five drivers did not finish. Sergio Perez, Nikita Mazepin, Mick Schumacher, George Russell, Sebastian Vettel. All five of those guys did not finish the race. They DNF'd. And the race had so many stops and starts that it really, in my opinion, impacted some of the fun. I'm like, I'm like, come on, can we just have driving and racing instead of, like, I wonder how many laps, someone can look it up, how many laps of this race was under a safety car with a yellow flag, whether it be virtual or not, where you couldn't pass. It's crazy to me. Now, here are the result uh, of the, here, after the race, here are the result uh, of the standings and what happened. How, does, how do I even say that? This is the result of the race. There we go. English is hard. This is what the standings look like. After Saudi Arabia, Max and Lewis are tied both with 369.5 points. Now, if they both DNF at Abu Dhabi next weekend, then, or I guess this coming weekend, then what's going to happen is that Max will win because he has more race wins, even though they're tied with points. And it'd be kind of, imagine if someone at the back of the pack, let's say, um, Antonio Giovinazzi is like, I'm so sick and tired of Lewis dominating Formula One. He just goes on a, a suicide mission to, you know, cause a crash for Lewis Hamilton, something like that. That would be really interesting. And, and I don't know if funny is the right word, but um, it's definitely interesting. I don't know if that'll happen, but uh, Bottas is third right now in Formula 1, 218 points. He is actually, I, I think, secured third because in fourth place, you got Sergio Perez with 190 points. That's 28 points behind. You can't score 28 points in a single race, even if, so I think that must mean that Sergio Perez uh, is secured at four, or is Valtteri Bottas is secured in third in Formula One. In the constructor standings, you have Mercedes with 587.5 points. Red Bull has 559.5 points. The DNF for Sergio Perez in Saudi Arabia basically handed Mercedes first place. It would take a miracle now for Red Bull to catch up and beat Mercedes. In third place, a similar situation you have Ferrari with 307 points. Uh, McLaren, who has battled with them all year, is so far behind now. They have 269 points. It would be a miracle. It would be like, hey, both McLaren drivers get first and second. Ferrari doesn't finish for McLaren to somehow pass Ferrari. And even then, I don't even know. Is that mathematically possible? Someone, I, probably. Yeah, because you have 25 plus. I still don't think that could even happen. So I, th I think Ferrari has secured third. 
Uh, Alpine has 149 points in fourth in, in fifth place. Excuse me. They've pulled away from AlphaTauri. Remember a couple of races ago, AlphaTauri and Alpine were tied. And with Esteban Ocon doing so well recently and Fernando Alonso getting a podium, you know, Esteban Ocon got fourth in Saudi Arabia. And Alpha is now 29 points behind Alpine. So good for Alpine. They, they've secured fifth place in Formula One. I'm really pumped for Abu Dhabi. Really the only thing left to figure out. The constructor standings are basically secured. Uh, I'm curious about Max versus Lewis. What's going to happen? How does this... It's up for grabs. First place in Formula One in the driver's standings. And uh, I hope, I am praying it's a good battle to the end. I would hate for it to be a blowout or for one of them to DNF and it not be an interesting battle. I don't really care who wins, although I, I think... I am rooting for Max. I'd like to see Max uh, Verstappen win. It'd be cool to see someone dethrone the champion. But um, and I think it would be really intriguing for next year. Like, what's more intriguing, a Max Verstappen revenge tour after almost beating Lewis Hamilton or Lewis Hamilton tr- coming back to prove himself after losing to Max Verstappen? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's more interesting for next year if Max can win here in this race than Lewis Hamilton. But, um, yeah, I just all I'm praying for, really, truly, is a good interesting finish that comes down to the wire if lewis wins but it's like it takes the final lap and an overtake or something i'll be so happy that that's perfect that's all i really want from formula one is fun and interesting outcomes that come down to the very end all right guys uh it is now time for ask zach give me a second to drink some water ask zach is my favorite part of the show in case you do not know how it works you go to patreon.com forward slash zach shomler you give a dollar a month you can Give more if you want to. Please do. It literally does help pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, uh, if you do the dollar a month and send in questions on Patreon, I do not guarantee to read them. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. Let me clarify. I don't guarantee to read them on this show. I read them all. I look at all of them with my eyeballs. I read them. But I don't guarantee to read them on the show. Uh, my only guarantee, again, I look at every single questions with my eyeballs. I make the top couple to read on the show. Uh, I, let me say this first before we get into any questions. I'm getting really hungry. I can feel myself. I'm on a diet now where uh, six days of the week I eat very meagerly. I eat literally carrots and boiled eggs and uh, bananas, uh, mandarin oranges, tomatoes, like v- very, you know, basically vegetables or boiled eggs. And that's it. Hard boiled eggs. Excuse me. Let's be clear. Uh, and, and no sauces either, no ranch, nothing like that. It's, it's boring and it's not very fun. Pepper is becoming my best friend, but today's Wednesday and Wednesday is my cheat day. It's the one day where I get to eat whatever I want. And McDonald's French fries are calling to me and there's a cheesecake factory down the road. I've never been to, I've never once been to cheesecake factory. I'm like, you know what? You've eaten so meagerly all week. And you, you know, by the way, eating hard boiled eggs is very cheap. And I'm like, I can afford to go to Cheesecake Factory for once. I've never been there. Cheesecake sounds good. It'll ruin my gut, but who cares? And so I, I feel myself slipping. I haven't eaten anything this morning, and I'm already like, I hope that being hungry, I I, have prob- I probably said Max's name instead of Lewis's name a couple times during that Formula One segment. And if I did, I feel bad, but it's because I'm I'm actually starving right now. I'm like, all I can think about is food. And I'm like, let's not ruin the flow. We got 30 minutes left of the show. Let's just do that. And then I'm, I'm so excited to go eat. Well, I don't know what I'm going to eat next. Maybe it'll be it's early morning, so like nothing good is open yet. I mean, I had I hop here is expensive and bad. So enough talking about food. Question number one is from Brandon. Brandon writes in and says, "Hi Zach, what's your opinion on Lamar Jackson's year so far? Is he still having issues making reads and throwing the ball in the pocket, or is his injured offense hurting his playmaking abilities? 
Also, who would you rather take as a franchise quarterback, Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson? Thanks for all the content. Um, I'd probably, I don't know. They, they both have had struggles this year, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. I don't, I don't really care to answer that. But I, I want to say this. Definitely, I'm going to need to do a film analysis on Lamar Jackson's year so far because I don't, I don't feel equipped to answer that fully. Uh, and it's going to be, that'll be a really interesting and, and frankly, quite easy film analysis to make because it's just watch what happened and report on it. Like I, that's my favorite kind of film analysis to do is talk about a guy who's maybe had an up and down year. He hasn't been great this year. He's had a lot of interceptions. He's actually winning games when he throws interceptions still, which is interesting. Um, but my impression of Lamar, and this is an impression, and so take this as a grain of salt because it's what I might I think is happening before diving in and watching all the film. But my impression is that Lamar is just growing and changing and trying to take his game to a next level. Like the way we, Tua, for example, Tua Tungavaloa, the Dolphins quarterback, is in his second year. And I thought that his last game against the Giants on Sunday was him really taking a step forward, throwing back shoulder fades, throwing the ball downfield a little bit more. And Lamar is trying to expand his game even farther than that, trying to do his stuff. They got Rashad Bateman, a draft pick. They're really trying to, he's trying to expand his game. And when you do that, you go through growing pains. And I think what we're seeing this year is Lamar Jackson going through growing pains and having a hard time evolving his game. But I think it's all for the better. Like the more he can make mistakes and learn lessons from them, the better of a quarterback he will become. So it's all good. It's just, it's, it's growing pains. That's what I think is happening. But for sure, I'll do a film analysis and talk about all the little things Lamar is doing and has done this year that he needs to work on for next year. Okay. Connor writes in, he says, Hey Zach, have you ever been to an NBA game? If not, I really recommend it. Last year, I watched the Atlanta Hawks and Toronto Raptors, and it was so much fun. There's something special about the constant cheering on one side while the other sits in disbelief. I love going to sports games so much. Um, I don't, I can't, I feel like if I say this as a sports commentator, I'll get in trouble. But I would imagine if you listen to the show and you know who I am as a human being, you're probably not shocked to hear I don't love going to games because I am a massive introvert. And I, crowds make me uncomfortable, like crowds doing stuff that the the Tennessee uh, Ole Miss game earlier this year, when Tennessee was throwing stuff on the the field and that mob mentality scares me a little bit. I don't love concerts, feel uncomfortable in public. I can't be myself. However, all that being said, NBA games are fantastic. I've been to one in my entire life and it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had at a sporting event because basketball uh, football in my opinion I think is better at home I would rather watch football from my couch and maybe that's because I'm working and I I went to like the Cincinnati Bengals Patriots game uh in 2019 I got to watch Tom Brady play live it was really fun amazing experience and I love Cincinnati I love the people there it was a great time but I'm taking notes and it's a bit weird to take notes in front of a crowd and I've taken notes where I got invited to a game like the XFL had me come to games and I, I sat in a press box and that was like way better because they serve you food and you have your own little area where you have a desk and you can take notes and it's it's great but NBA games are and basketball in general I think is a better kind of game to go to there's no weird long TV timeouts and it it flows better and you know defense defense like just the chanting and the cheering and it's fun and it's a great thing to watch live hockey though hockey is my favorite sport to watch live and you would never know that i like i love hockey and i hockey is just the perfect thing to be in the stands for i really love it and uh if i had to pick one kind of game to go to it probably would be a hockey game actually so 
I'm going to, I'm going to travel a lot next football season, go to some games and drive around. And, um, I got a, a fun plan there, but I, I, I guess honestly though, my favorite type of game to go to basketball is great. Hockey is even better. Dylan writes in, he says, do you believe that firing Jill Brady was the right move? What are the possible outcomes of this transaction? So uh, the Panthers fired their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, the young, uh, the young guru. He was the great offensive coordinator that helped Joe Burrow become a Heisman Trophy winner and won a national title at LSU. Here's the reality about Joe Brady. He failed with a lot of quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater didn't work. Sam Darnold didn't work. Cam Newton had a really horrible game. Uh, didn't work with any of them. So that's a concern. Like when you failed with Sam Darnold, Carolina wanted Sam Darnold to be a thing and he was unable to make Sam Darnold look really good, which maybe that's on Sam, but I think that was a really big nail in the coffin for him. And, uh, I worry though, the outcomes that could come from this, I worry that Matt rule, the head coach could be next. I think Matt rule, you got to just give it time, give him patience. They're, they're building stuff. They had a lot of injuries and, I don't know. I don't know what is next for him, though. What, what's curious to me is where does Joe Brady go? He's a failed offensive coordinator who I think clearly is not a terrible offensive mind. Like, I, I would love to see him maybe go back to LSU. I don't know. But I, I, it'll be really interesting to see where Joe Brady does land after this. And then who are the Panthers going to hire to replace Joe Brady? And who is their quarterback going to be next? Year? I mean, there's so many questions about Carolina on offense. And it's, it's kind of discouraging to be a, I'm a, I'm a quasi Carolina Panthers fan. I should go to a game there someday. That'd be really fun. But I, I just don't, I have no idea what to expect from Carolina next year. Okay. Ultimate a writes in, it's a very long one, but it's a good one. So it's, it's worth reading. Ultimate a says, hi, Zach. There's been a lot of talk about expanding the college football playoff field. And after selection Sunday, I feel even stronger about expansion. So many good teams are available for some cool matchups, even though I wouldn't say all of them have a real shot at the top. But hey, any given Sunday, am I right? Yeah, sure. Or Saturday, he says. So let's have some fun with it. If the college football play have had a change of heart and put together the 18 bracket this year, these would be the matchups. It'd be number one Alabama against number one Ole Miss, number two Michigan against number seven Ohio State, number three Georgia against number six Baylor, number four Cincinnati against number five Notre Dame would be the fourth game. I am a firm believer that these rankings would not stay the same in an eight-team field, as the committee would like to prevent repeat matchups as much as possible. I believe they picked the rankings this year because of this reason, especially to avoid Georgia against Bama back-to-back. That being said, do these hypothetical matchups look interesting to you? Any observations from these four games you might like to share? Thanks, as always, Ultimate A. Uh, So I don't know how you would rank this because I still the the matchup I want to stay the same I want Georgia against Michigan however the only way to do that really is to make one of them four and one of them five and you don't want to penalize Georgia who's one of the best teams in the country like I'll put them down can you rank them like fifth in the country that feels so wrong after having only one last year Um, so that's a flaw with everything about to say next which is that the matchups I want to see I want and maybe it's a simple answer. I guess maybe what you could do is, is have Georgia play Ohio State, then put Georgia in the top four, have Georgia play Ohio State. But what I want to see, honestly, and this is this would be really fun for me personally, 
I want Alabama against Ohio State. I want Bryce Young against C.J. Stroud. Two Heisman Trophy finalists, two great young quarterbacks. That'd be awesome. Georgia-Michigan, dream matchup. Great offensive line at Michigan against a great defense, Georgia. That's perfect. Cincinnati-Baylor would be really fun. Baylor's got this great defense. That's a game that Cincinnati actually has a shot to win, and it'd be cool to give. If Cincinnati won a playoff game, oh my gosh, it'd be really fun. And then Notre Dame at Ole Miss would be really interesting because that's the two teams I had left. And I'm like, well, sure, let's see that. Uh, I think that would be interesting. I don't want any repeat matchups. I don't, at least not in round one. Not They have to earn their way to play each other again and get a, a rematch. Uh, and that's a ton of good games. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan. Cincinnati, Baylor would be really fun. Notre Dame, Ole Miss would be really interesting. Again, I'm not sure how you would rank them. Like, you couldn't put Georgia and Michigan as the number four and five teams in the country. That's the big flaw here. But I want good games. And the four games I came up with sound like really, really good games with the top eight teams in the college football rankings. Okay, Leon writes in, says, Hey, Zach. Finally got around to supporting you here. Thank you, by the way, Leon. I really appreciate that. Anyway, what are your thoughts on the NFC South? Do you believe that the Saints can put together a good enough team to beat out the Bucks, or is Brady's team there to dominate? Thanks for keeping me company on the drives to work and school. Always look forward to your releases. Um, Leon, I'm not going to lie to you, man. Tampa's going to dominate for years here in the NFC South, at least this year, last year, probably next year too. Uh, Carolina and Atlanta are rebuilding and New Orleans is in a problem with where salary caps, a problem they have quarterback problems. They're totally trying to regroup with the cap salary situation. Um, and, and they're just regrouping period. I mean, they're, they're a team that is as much as New Orleans doesn't want to admit it. Cause they have some good players. They are rebuilding. You can't lose a Hall of Fame quarterback like Drew Brees and expect to leave where you know where you left off or you know continue where you left off. So I think Tom Brady picked a perfect situation for him to go to, not only because Tampa is a really good team, but because the other teams in his division are not going to challenge him for a while in the NFC South. And so I don't think I don't think anybody in the NFC South is going to challenge Tampa for a number of years. Okay, Raphael writes in. It's a long one, but a good one. Hi, Zach. I've got another question. I guess you've seen Kenny Pickett's fake slide as it has been all over social media. I actually watched that game live. It was awesome. Uh, as a quarterback myself, even though at a much lower level, I feel like faking the slide should not be allowed. I am all for quarterback safety out of selfish reasons. So whenever you are that protected already, there shouldn't be a way to use that protection even more to your advantage. To be clear, I am not criticizing Kenny Pickett. He just plays by the rules, but I hope that the rules get adapted so that fake sliding isn't allowed anymore. I believe that fake sliding is detrimental to the efforts made to protect players, and as defensive players need to make split-second decisions resulting in flags and even injuries if they choose wrong, what do you think? Yeah, totally. I hear, so I, I agree with everything you said. It's very unfair to use your protection as an advantage. It, it feels like uh, a, a loophole and a problem. However, here's what I would say. So in this run, Kenny Pickett had like a, was it, I think a 58-yard run against uh, Wake Forest in the ACC title game. Here's my question. Was it actually a fake slide? Or did the announcer just call it that? And that's why we're calling it that. Like the announcer in the moment created the narrative, I believe. Unless Kenny Pickett came out and said, hell yeah, I faked a slide and I got him. I don't. 
I think what happened really was watching live. It looks like Kenny Pickett was thinking about sliding. He slowed down to do it and then decided not to and took off. Like, and it wasn't, it was also way faster than like you stop and go. It was like, he just hesitated for half a second and then kept on running. I don't know that that was actually a fake slide as much as it was him trying to make up his mind. So I don't have a problem with what actually happened. I, but if people start doing that more, eh, ban it, it's out of there. That's a terrible thing to have happened to the football world. Okay, final question of the day. Evan writes in. He says, oh, no, I got a long one. Second to last one. I want to read Christopher's question. <laughs> Christopher says, do you think if you did anything different, you could have been an NFL talent at quarterback? Not necessarily a starter, but at least an NFL level. Um, so, Chris, there's pretty much zero scenario where the outcome is me as an NFL quarterback. I had a weak arm. I had bad mechanics, in my opinion. I, I threw the ball like Peyton Manning, which means that I didn't use, uh, like, I threw the ball really high over my head and, and probably wasn't at 90 enough and didn't get enough velocity generated with my body type and wasn't a great athlete. I didn't have great film. I Like, I, I, I probably should have thrown the ball vertically a lot more if I really wanted to play at a high level. Now, I just I don't think there's any outcome where I would have been an NFL quarterback. I have a lot I have too much hopefully humility but also respect for what NFL quarterbacks can do. I just was there's no outcome where I could have done any of that stuff. I mean maybe I watched a preseason and I saw like gosh, Zach Mettenberg was horrible and I'm like I could have done that, but I not better than that maybe. Uh but here's what I could have done to maximize my potential and get a better outcome from my career, whatever that looks like, whether that is the NFL or XFL or CFL or uh, who knows, right? I, I could have definitely done a lot better in my career. And here's what I would have done. I should have gone to, and my advice for young quarterbacks, go to college camps. I had no idea the power that has because you go work out basically for college quarterback coaches. So I'm like, oh, I should have gone to Sacramento State. I should have gone to, and like showed up, Shook hands, showed him how good my footwork was, how accurate I am. That would have been a really helpful thing for me to do, and I didn't do any of that. I also probably, I regret not walking on at a big school. If you're a guy who, you're really confident, you work really hard, you believe in yourself. I was a fringe Elite 11 guy. Like I, I, I've told this story before, but I was like, they picked Ross Bowers instead of me for the last, uh, there was, it was the kid at USC, actually. There's some other kid, I forget his name right now. He was bad, he had a torn ACL. They, I was like almost the last Elite 11 spot in the 2015 Elite 11 draft class. Like I'm not, I'm not exactly, I guess 2014, uh, 2014 Elite 11. Like I'm not kidding. I was working out with Trent Dilfer. I was right there and they picked the other guy instead of me. And I, I was, had the best day of my life. I was killing it. So I wasn't that far off. I am confident I could have played at a higher co college level than I did. But my advice to guys is, hey, walk on at a big school. What do you have to lose if you don't make it? Go to a small school. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I ended up playing Division Three football because I, I really, really heavily settled and said I want to be a star at the Division Three level. And I regret that a ton. And I never was a star, by the way. I'll tell you what happened in a moment. But I, I, I should have really gone to a higher level of football where I was more driven. I, 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 was, I worked so hard to get to college football. And I, I was working with Division One in mind. And then I didn't even try to go to Division One. It's better to try and fail than not try and always wonder. 
So my, my I should have gone to try to walk on it like a Wisconsin who they could have used a good quarterback and they never had one. I'm like, I can make good decisions at Wisconsin, hand off the ball 40 times and make three good passes. Like I totally could have done that. Iowa, Utah. If you're a quarterback who you're like, I'm not an NFL quarterback, but I know I can make good decisions and I think I can play it at a division one level. Go to a team that plays great defense and runs the ball really well, where they don't ask that much of you. You just got to put the ball in the right spot. The couple times a game you're expected to throw the football. I could have done that, and I regret that. Now, uh, the other thing I should have done is I probably should have taken a gap year. I was a very different person, physically and maturity-wise, at 20 than I was at 18. So what happened to me, I went to college football. I like quit halfway through the year. I, d- I didn't play the, my full freshman year, and I was depressed. I was having a really hard time. Uh, my parents had just gotten divorced and it was really hard for me. And I was kind of feeling burned out on football. Like I worked so hard to get to college football. And then now that I was there, I kind of flamed out. I lost that passion. Like I was driven so hard by like trying to prove my old coach wrong that didn't want me. And I'm like, I'm going to get to college. And I got there and I lost all my motivation. I was depressed. I was at a crappy school that I didn't like. And I, I just, I regret it. I, I was really having a hard time. And I can't, I think my parents' divorce had a, a, a much bigger impact on me than I, I've ever admitted until I went to therapy. I also should have ran more. I, I, I was so focused on, I'm a pocket passer. I, I never even thought to use my athletic ability more. And I, I could have run a lot more than I did. I should have done that. I should have thrown the ball vertically. Like all the throws I regret are the throws I didn't make where I had, I had this amazing six, five receiver matched up on really short guys. I'm like, why didn't I just throw the ball up? I could have done that. And I was very accurate throwing a deep ball. I didn't take enough chances. And so, um, I guess what you can learn from my football career is the only things you're going to regret are the things you didn't attempt. I didn't attempt to walk on at a big school. I didn't have an outside the box thinking level. I'm like, I could take a year off and then go back. And if I'd taken a year off, like if you take a year off and do nothing and play video games, you're not going to be good. But if you take a year off and are throwing every day, doing footwork drills, working hard, eating good, trying to get bigger. I I had, I throw the ball better now at 24, almost 25 than I did at 18. That's seven years ago. I'm a man now. And I'm like, that sounds silly, but like I have like man strength. I literally throw the ball farther and better. And my mechanics, I've been tweaking them for like seven years. They're way better now. I'm like all around. I'm actually, I'd be a better quarterback today in college football than I was at 18. And I, I wasted all my eligibility and I, I did all the wrong stuff. And so if you can learn anything from what I just said, I hope you learn a lot because I, I regret not trying to walk on to big school. I regret not throwing the ball deep a lot more. And you can make good decisions, but hey, first and 10, you got a good matchup one-on-one. Take it. Throw the ball out wide to your tall receiver. Um, hey, run. Like, you're an athlete. I don't care who you are. If you can run, you got to run. I, I told myself, I'm a statue. I'm Tom Brady. So unhelpful for me to tell myself that. And uh, don't burn yourself out, man. Like, it's really important to take care of yourself. And I think I didn't take care of myself at all. And so when I got to college football, I didn't know how to enjoy life. And that's, I don't know. I just, I learned a lot from my failure as a, as a quarterback uh, in college. And uh, if I can help other people, that would be great. I'd love to interview like Blake Bortles, Mark Sanchez, guys who have failed, you know, failed in quotes at the NFL level. It'd be really fun to me. So uh, if you're a quarterback or a former quarterback, reach out to me. I don't really care what level you played at. Let's talk. It'd be fun to learn about what your experience was like. And I'll interview you guys. Cause I think it'd be really fun to interview more quarterbacks. And I think the way to interview big name quarterbacks is to interview smaller name 
quarterbacks. Okay, uh, final question of the day. Evan writes in, says, hey, Zach, I don't know if you ever run across any news regarding FCS football, but East Tennessee State University had a crazy comeback win against Kennesaw State this weekend that I think you would enjoy seeing. I've attached a four-minute clip that shows Eastern Tennessee State scoring 15 points in one minute and 10 seconds and would love to see your reaction. Uh, so I'm not going to do like a reaction video or, or play anything like that. Um, I mean, I'll get copyright struck. It's, I'm not down for that. But I, I did want to – I watched the video. He sent me a PCS highlights video. Great highlight channel. There are so many highlight channels out there. I don't know how those guys do it. I really – I watch highlight channels, and I'm like, Jesus, you guys work so hard, clearly. And I, you have to give those guys respect. I don't know if they have a big team behind them. They probably do, but they kill it every week. Like the guy Wheels? Dude. He puts out so many videos. It's amazing. I, I am blown away by those guys. Uh, now, they're, I, I, I don't know. I, I, you, you can say they're just stealing content. It's not true. Like that's, that's a lot of work to, to cut together what they do. and I don't think they get the credit they deserve, actually. Now, uh, I watched that video, and, and watching Eastern Tennessee State uh, against Kennesaw State, it's funny. I, so you wrote in East Tennessee State one. I watched the video. I couldn't actually tell you who won. Unless I'd read that just now, because I would have, I'm like, did Kennesaw State win? East Tennessee State win? I don't remember that. But what I remember was just thinking that it's a good reminder how much good football there is out there. Let's imagine that the NFL level and Division I FBS, like Alabama, Michigan, Oregon, USC, imagine those two levels of football got deleted from existence tomorrow. Well, you, you, I promise, would really enjoy watching FCS football. If we were forced to learn those guys' names and those teams' names and actually be invested, it would not disappoint because there is fantastic football out there at the FCS level, and it's competitive, it's fun, it's compelling, it's interesting. And if you're a football fan, find a way to watch the FCS Division I AA national title game because I, I promise you, man, it's going to be great football. It always is. And... uh I appreciate Evan. Thank you for sending me that because it was a, it was a joy to watch it. I, my number would takeaway though is just a, it's good football and people should pay more attention to it. Period. Okay, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, I'm starving, and if I said the wrong thing at any point, that's why because I'm I'm really distracted by my tummy growling constantly, uh, and it's been that way for six days. I'm I'm like slowly. My my goal to lose weight is uh, you know, I'm I'm eating less. Shocking, right? If you eat a little bit less. And I steadily eat, like I'm not starving myself, but I'm like, hey, smaller portions, eating actually good ingredients. That's how I'm trying to lose weight. And it's working. My gut literally is going down. Now, I'm going to destroy all my uh, my progress today. I thought about stretching it, like, oh, I may even go two weeks eating this way. And I'm like, no, I'm, I need to go six days and one day off because I, I just, I need, I think it's the only way I'll keep doing it is if I actually have a break where I can eat good food occasionally. But um, the diet, going well so far. And, and let me tell you, it's a lot cheaper to eat carrots it really is. Carrots and hard-boiled eggs, it ain't expensive. You, you, I spent like 29 bucks on groceries for, that'll last me about two, three weeks. And that's that's nothing in the scheme of things. So uh, compared to, you know, buying other foods. So, um, hey, man, if you're out there and you're thinking about a diet, go ahead, make a change. And I, I can't encourage you enough. But give yourself a reward occasionally where you eat good food. And I can't wait to eat good food today. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, I'll see you very soon because I'm doing a Tom Brady Man in the Arena episode later today. So love you. appreciate you. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are.